Well, today we are talking about the discipline of celebration. That oftentimes, when we think about spiritual disciplines or habits, we think about denying things and giving things up, which can be part of it. But today is a, a day of celebration. It's the day of Palm Sunday. It's a day of practicing celebration in our lives and creating those habits. In fact, did you know that God is the happiest being in the universe? In Him is all joy. It says that all good things, all good things flow from Him. So when we celebrate goodness and joy and happiness, we are getting a little bit more in touch with our Creator. But often bad news precedes good news. So for the last eight weeks, as we've been going through a series on habits, we've talked about the Nazarite vow. And the Nazarite vow is a time that you would give up something, like in Lent. And at the end of that time of giving up things, the bad news was the sacrifice, the bad news was what you gave up. There was a good news, a celebration on the day that you broke the vow. Here's what it says in the book of Numbers we touched on um, many weeks ago, and we're going to conclude today. The Nazarite would shave his consecrated head at the end of this season, at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And they would take his hair, shave from his head, and they put it in the fire, which is under the sacrifice of the peace offering. And the priest would wave the hair as a wave offering before the Lord, and they would be considered holy before God. Because this hair that had gone uncut for 30 days, sometimes a year, sometimes two years. There's even been records of those who didn't cut their hair for seven years because they were trying to develop a close relationship with God. And this hair would be way before God's way of saying, these are holy, these are set apart. This is someone who really wants God to show up in their life in a significant way. Now notice, part of the ceremony is they would burn the hair. Have you ever smelled the smell of burning hair? Let me tell you, I used to sit in my uh, dorm room in college and I'm typing away on this paper. I had an old word processor. I'm typing away. And I'm in the middle of this paper on whatever it was. And I'd suddenly be like, man, what is that? Something stinks. Oh, and I'd get out of my chair. I'd go around. And my desk was back to back with my roommate's desk. And as I came around, he always sounded like shaggy. <laughs> What are you doing over here? Matt, what are you doing? <laughs> he would pull out a cigarette lighter and he would light the hairs on his arm and fill our room with this stench, just this horrible aroma. Like, Will you stop that? Give me that thing. I'm trying to do some study over here. Opening the windows in Chicago, trying to air it out. I'd go sit down. About three months later, he'd do it again. So I am painfully aware of the horrific stench that comes from burning hair. For me, it was gross. For me, it was terrible. But if you walked into the tabernacle and you smelled burning hair, what would you think? <gasps> Devotion, passion, discipline. You'd gather the kids and grandkids and say, let's go watch. Somebody's about to have their hair cut. Somebody who's taken a season of their life to draw near to God. They're going to burn the hair in just a moment. Guys, this is what it means when you so deeply want to break a, a, an addiction in your life, when you've tried everything else, when you so badly wanted to have God show up in your marriage or show up in your family, you take this vow, come watch. Your kids and grandkids might turn to you and say, are you going to do that, Dad? Have you ever taken a vow? And you would participate in this as a community. 
And this idea that bad news, the sacrifice time, would be followed with good news was a pattern all through the Bible. But it's a pattern in life. Many times it's we made an intervention in our kid's life. The good news is we got them into a new school. We found new friends. That was the good news. But first came the bad news. We found out how bad they were being bullied. Happened with my son. It wasn't until I found out the bad news he was being bullied that I was able to put in some interventions. Sometimes it isn't until you find out just how bad your marriage is and one or both of you decide to be honest and say that things are sort of heading downhill that then you begin to put in new habits to get your marriage back on the right track. Many here at Horizon know what it's like to go through cancer and to go through cancer treatment. And you've had dinner parties and they've been fun. But there's nothing like a dinner party of someone who's just completed their chemo. The bad news of the fight and the difficulty and the the leaning in on each other and the weeping and the crying to then have that moment of saying you're free and you invite friends together and you have a party like no other party. The good news is greater because of the bad news you went through. And the same thing was true of the Nazarite vow that after seasons of sacrifice, you would have a great, incredible celebration together. So today, as we look at this habit of celebration, we're going to try and imitate the God of the Bible. And this may be a total reframe for you. God wants all of us to be party planners. Be a party planner. That we intentionally plan new habits, and then we celebrate those new habits. That we begin to find joy in our life. We begin to live lives that are so attractive because people are drawn toward joy. A few months ago, I went down to Cancun with one of our mission teams, and we worked hard. We moved 37 tons of sand and rubber to put together a, a professional-style soccer field for the poorest, poorest villages in uh, Tres Reyes. At the end of the night, when we're hot and sweaty and took our showers, we're exhausted, I'd say, hey, who wants to play cards? People, oh, I love euchre. And we sat together, and we're playing euchre, and I do what I always do when I start a euchre game. Hey, I uh, just want to make sure we have the rules straight. When I play euchre, I cheat. Do you? (laughs) At which they always say the same thing. Well, of course we do, but nobody ever asks. I said, well, I won't cheat if you don't want to, but that's how I play euchre. Uh, And if you get caught, you go back, but that's part of the game. So we start playing euchre. And, I mean, I am stealing deals. I am stealing deal after deal. I'm treading cards and palming cards. And we are laughing so hard. This one guy sitting next to me, I stole his deal every single time. I even warned him once I was going to steal it and still stole it. We are laughing. We're having a great time. In fact, he turned to me and said, Chad, I have never had this much fun playing cards, even when I was with a group of friends who were all drunk. And I took that as high praise. (laughs) That there is a type of joy that's contagious in community that should flow from those who know the God of community. So our first point is that we need to intentionally plan new habits. We've done that between the time leading up to Easter. But we need to do that regularly. Here's what would happen with the Nazarite. Either a man or a woman would consecrate an offering to take the vow of the Nazarite to separate himself to God for a certain period of time by giving up one thing to draw near to God. Now, in this particular one, he would separate himself from wine for this period of time. All the days of separation, he would eat nothing that's produced by the grapevine from seed to skin. Now, notice this was a temporary vow. All the days of the vow of his separation... He would not cut his hair upon his head until it came to an end. The days were fulfilled for which he separated himself to the Lord and he would be holy, which meant set apart or whole before God. Then he would let the locks of his hair grow. 
So in general, people drank all the time. Wine was part of worship. It was part of your family gatherings. It was part of your social gatherings. So this was a huge sacrifice to go without wine for a period of time was to actually miss out on an awful lot for months or even years. But then the moment came of celebration. You would break the vow. You would return to growing your hair, return to drinking wine. You'd have an incredible celebration. But notice the phrase again. The phrase up there, all the days or until the days were fulfilled. God put in ways to intentionally put seasons of developing new habits in your life. Now, God was a party planner. In fact, if you read the Old Testament, what you discover is that God had a period of seven feasts or parties that he required the people of Israel to be part of. Tabernacle, Sukkot, um, unleavened bread, trumpets, to name a few. And if you walked into the tabernacle of the temple, the thing you always smelled was a barbecue. Because folks were always bringing their lambs before God. And as they were doing that, there was the smell, the aroma of cooking meat. So if you ask someone, Matt, you want to come continue cooking for us? When you came to the temple, if you asked a young Jewish kid, what does the worship of God smell like? They thought it smells like a barbecue. There's always the smell of barbecue at the tabernacle. There's always the smell of barbecue at the temple. There was always people. The setup of the temple was like a, a picnic area. People gathered together and they feasted and they celebrated. Now, God had seven parties that were required during the year. He said you had to attend at least three. But God said, I want my people to be known for their parties, for their celebration, for their joy. Jesus went to parties. In fact, Jesus showed up at one party. For, he did a miracle in Cana, and they ran out of wine. And Jesus is the one that not only provided the wine to keep the party going, they said it was the best wine they ever had. Jesus developed relationships with some tax collectors. They were not people of faith. They were from the Roman government. They were the top one percenters. None of the Jewish people wanted to hang out with them, and Jesus had parties with them. The religious people were so ticked off at Jesus. I can't believe you're hanging out with those people. You even seem to be enjoying the party. Because to be around Jesus was to be around joy. He was the God of the party. For you and I, what would it look like for people to see in us, not pessimism, not anger, not, not negativity all the time, but that we would be people of joy and celebration that would point people to the author and our creator? And what does it look like for you and I to intentionally plan celebration in our life? One of the things we do as a family is we have a red plate. So this is our red plate. You can see things written on the front and the back. I read an uh, excerpt that said that most teenagers have never seen God answer a prayer. It's one of the reasons they lose their faith. So several years ago, I started this tradition of intentionally celebrating. So what I do is every time God answers a prayer or something happens that we want to thank God for, we write it on this plate. Now, some are superficial to you, maybe. Quinn went poo in the potty, 5114. Some are bigger, like my book with Random House that came out back in July of 2014, my daughter being accepted to her college, my son buying his first car, my son and I starting a business together last year, some money my son made toward his car on his way to buying it. I wanted to, oh, and when, the, when my grandparents came over, uh, or best parents rather, we celebrated their 40 uh, year anniversary we put on here, 45 years of marriage from grandma and grandpa. We wanted to institutionalize a way to celebrate what God does and to talk about the great things. You know, Michael Phelps did that. His coach 
They obviously got the celebration of the gold, but long before that, they intentionally planned purposeful activities. Every night when Michael was on his way home from swimming, his coach would say, I want you to play the tape. Play the tape. I want you to develop the habit of laying in bed and playing back the dive into the water, the strokes, the kick, the spin, the turn, the strokes, and coming back up. Replay those habits over and over again. And by putting that discipline of putting new habits in place and celebrating before he even won the gold, he was able to be prepared for the celebration. When my kids were first born, they were two or three, I remember writing out 10 and 20 year goals. And one of the goals I wrote down was that fun with dad would be so appealing that temptation would look lame. And now I have two teenagers and my kids love hanging out with me. I don't know how long that will last, but we have a family movie night every week. I play volleyball over at Hana Beach on Thursday nights. My son, my daughter, and a friend of mine, we play together. We interact together. We have vacations we go on together. But this didn't happen accidentally. For 20 years, I've been putting these plans of celebration. I started dating my daughter when she was two, then three, then four. And now she still wants to date me when she's 17. I planned intentional habits of celebration. And God did the same thing. So after you put these new habits in place, you would then have a time of celebration to celebrate those habits. And here's how you broke the vow. When the days of the separation were fulfilled, he, the one who had taken the vow, would come to the door of the tabernacle of meeting and he would present his offering to the Lord. Now, look at this offering. This is like a grocery list for a party. He would bring one male lamb, the smell of roasting meat, in its first year without blemish or burnt offering, a ewe lamb in its first year without blemish as a sin offering, a ram without blemish as a peace offering, a basket of unleavened bread, food for everyone, cakes were made of fine flour mixed with oil, unleavened wafers anointed with oil, grain offering and drink offerings, and the priest shall bring them before the Lord. This was a celebration. And in that celebration, most people couldn't afford that list. That list was so long. You'd have to get the community involved. You couldn't afford everything on the list. So somebody might buy the, the ram for you and somebody you for you. It took a whole community to come together to celebrate and break the vow. And then it continues in the next verse and says this. The Nazarite would then shave his consecrated head at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And they would take the hair that's consecrated, put it in fire, and these will be sacred before God. Now, let me show you what the tabernacle looked like. You would enter the tabernacle for one main entrance. So as everyone came into that tabernacle to find peace with God, to pray, to talk, everyone walked past this guy getting or woman getting their hair cut. Well, many of you know that seven weeks ago, we had two people in our congregation that decided to take the Nazarite vow, Jason and Skylar. We're going to shave one of them at this service. We're going to shave one of them at the next service. So this is what Jason and Skylar looked like seven weeks ago. Today, Jason is going to join us, and Carmen's going to come up and join us in the barber uh, uh, chair here. And this man's had some sacrifices. This man's been looking shaggy for a while. In fact, when you came to temple and you saw someone sitting in the front door to the tabernacle, you would say, oh, look, it's shaggy. This guy hasn't cut his hair in a while. Now, for, for Jason, it's been six weeks. Imagine it's been seven years, hair everywhere. And you would immediately stop and say, oh, before we go into worship... This is what dedication and passion looks like. And as you gather together, there would be worship music. There would be people sacrificing. You would smell the smell of meat 
of the roasting and the sacrifice of those who'd come to be near God. So I want you to imagine with me that we're at the tabernacle. You've just walked in with your kids and grandkids. And you've heard about this vow. You've heard about people who are willing to take the vow. We're just going to watch him get his hair cut for a few moments. And I want to give you a little bit more dialogue what's happened. But walk with me to the temple. Be in that tabernacle right now as you walk by and watch a Nazarite break their vow. was shaved they'd be thinking about all those weeks and months where they didn't shave those moments they dedicated to prayer or to asking God for help or asking God to have a breakthrough in their marriage or to overcome an addiction that had been with them for years and this would be the culmination of seeing all their friends who'd gather around and brought the party and brought the food and brought the cakes and saying this is the day and the, the word that's used of this kind of sacrifice is called a plea P-L-Y God describes it as a wondrous thing When you draw near to God and he draws near to you, God says you grab his attention. Of all the universes he's spinning, he is focused on you and your desire to get a hold of his peace or his strength or his hope in a new and a fresh way. That's what it's about. In fact, as part of the ceremony, the priest would come up and grab a handful of hair. And they would use it as a wave offering and say, God, this is the sacrifice. This is the person who spent weeks, months, days trying to draw near to you. That sacrifice would then be taken. It would be burned as a burnt offering. And, it, and as it would burn, you'd see the fire explode up. And again, you'd be sitting with your kids and grandkids and you'd smell that smell of burning hair. And unlike us, who go, oh, you would say, devotion, passion. I wonder if I will ever have the kind of devotion it takes to set aside a period of my life to give up something to draw near to God. Look what would happen. Then the Nazarite would shave his consecrated head at the door of the tabernacle. They would take the hair from his head. They'd put it in the fire, which is under the sacrifice of the peace offering. After he'd shaved his hair, the priest would wave them as a wave offering before the Lord. And look at this phrase. They are holy. We think that things are holy like holy water or holy people. But the Bible says that because of the forgiveness of Jesus, when you ask him into your life, his spirit, the literal spirit of God, comes and lives in you and you become holy. You don't have to perform a miracle. You don't have to be dead. You can be holy now based on not what you do, but based on what Jesus does. But within that holiness, there was a a sort of special dose of wondrousness or holiness that came from those who made a vow to draw near to God. How about you? How bad do you want it? How bad do you want God's peace in your life? How bad do you want to know God? Know if there is a God? Know if the God of the Bible really is true? Do you want it bad enough that you'd be willing to seek Him out? To start new habits in your life? In fact, the steak, the smell of steak reminds you of a barbecue. Because to be around God was to be around celebration. So I sent out some invitations for this service for those to join me for a dinner party to celebrate this time. So if you've got an invitation for this service, you can join me at the table. Matt, you want to bring the meat down to the table for me? 
So if you've got an invitation, you can make your way up and grab a seat. If you guys want in the front row want to come up, you want to come on down. Join us at the dinner table. And we're going to eat some steak together. You guys can grab a seat if you'd like. Welcome. Good to have you at the meal. Good to see you guys. Good to see you. Good to see you. Thanks for joining us. So what we're going to do is we're going to have a celebration. And we're going to eat together. And while we do that, I want you to know the band would be playing. It would be a celebration of music. It would be a celebration of, of community coming together. So we're just going to have some wine. We're going to have some steak. We're going to have some grape juice. You can feel free to sing along with the band as we eat together. And then we're going to talk about how we apply this to our lives. What does it mean for us to be party planners? What does it mean for us to put disciplines of celebration in our life? It looks a lot of ways. Maybe it means as a parent or grandparent, we start catching our kids doing something right as often as we catch them doing something wrong. Maybe we have a staff meeting every week, and I have one particular staff member. He looks at every staff meeting as a chance to encourage somebody before we start. I'm sort of like, hey, let's get going. I notice he walks over. And he'll purposely pull someone aside and say, I want you to know how much I appreciate what you did last week or something I see in you or character quality. He's a, a living party wherever he goes. I thought, well, I want more of that. I want to be more of a party planner, turn my meetings into chances to speak into and encourage people. We had a doctor who was interviewed here about a month ago at our first service. He said his son turned tw- 21 and he got five men from his son's life to take him to dinner. And encourage him to speak words of affirmation into him as he heads into adulthood. He purposely planned that activity. How about for you? What would it be like for you to push away from negativity, push away from, from, from pessimism, push away from all the cynicism and say, I want to be a person who lives a life that's so attractive that wherever I go, there's joy involved. Joy in my community, joy in my church, joy in my family. There's something attractive about it. We want to be people like that. To do that and to culminate this time of celebration we've had, I thought we could give a great horizon celebration and uh, applause to Jason, who's been on this vow together. Can we thank him? Thank you, Jason. Come on, stand up. Up here. Way to go. Now, there's a, there's a blessing that you may have heard at weddings or funerals. But that blessing comes directly out of this passage in the book of Numbers. So I'm going to put it on the screen behind me, but I want, to, I want to pray this blessing over Jason and over anyone who wants to participate in, in habits that draw near to God. This is how God feels towards you. Let's read them together. I'll read out loud. You can just uh, read along. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are a God of joy and celebration. Thank you that you put parties throughout the, the year for us to remember to be thankful. Remember to experience your joy. To remember to be affirmed. We applaud for people who win basketball games and football games. We applaud for people who get great awards in business. God, we want to applaud the people who draw near to you. And thank you for our chance to applaud Jason, his journey, and for all of us who have gone through the Habits a series together over the last seven weeks. God, I ask that you will honor what you said, that you will draw near to us as we draw near to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again, man. Thank you guys for being here today. We will see you all next week for Easter. If you don't have tickets yet, the tickets are free, but grab tickets for one of our seven services. You will not want to miss what's happening next weekend. Uh, if you're new to the church, third door on your left, we'd love to say hi at the hearth room. Tickets are available down by the fireplace. Thanks again. We'll see you for Easter.